Hey, everybody, and welcome into episode 58 of Jake's Take. I am Jake Heller. Appreciate you guys tuning in once again. Hope everybody is having an awesome Saturday afternoon. So we are going to recap the weekend that was at Talladega Super Speedway, preview the weekend ahead at Kansas Speedway. But before we get into all of that, obviously, what an amazing weekend this has been with the NFL Draft, but also what a crazy week this has been with these Aaron Rodgers reports. Thursday morning, just hours before the NFL Draft, a report came down that the San Francisco 49ers did offer a trade deal to the Green Bay Packers that would have shipped Aaron Rodgers to the San Francisco 49ers, his childhood team growing up, and the team that he wanted to be drafted number one overall by in 2005. Obviously, we know the story. They passed up on him for Alex Smith, and he fell all the way to 24th to the Green Bay Packers. The one thing about Aaron Rodgers throughout his career, as talented as he is, he has had a very abrasive personality. And this goes all the way back to even when he met Brett Favre in 2005. And one of the first things he said to him was, hey, Grandpa. Hey, Grandpa. Talk about being disrespectful, honestly, to one of the legends of the game. Hey, Grandpa. Then, of course, we all know about Brett Favre and his bitter divorce with the Green Bay Packers after the 2007 season, how they pressured him into retiring when he really didn't want to, and then deciding to move on to Aaron Rodgers, and then eventually Brett Favre got traded to the Jets, retired, unretired, and then spent the final two years of his career with the Minnesota Vikings. Now, with Aaron Rodgers being the starter in Green Bay, of course, the other thing that we all remember is the very toxic relationship that he had with head coach Mike McCarthy, how it just got worse and worse as time went on, even after they beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in Super Bowl forty-five, And how convenient that Mike McCarthy was fired on Aaron's birthday in 2018 after losing to the Arizona Cardinals. And, of course, the other thing is when they hired Matt LaFleur to become the head coach in 2019, how that was a bit of a frosty relationship from the start as well. And I think it only compounded last year when the Green Bay Packers, when they traded up in the first round and they selected Jordan Love, a quarterback. So at that point, like like the four of us talked about on the last show, at that point, you definitely felt like Aaron's days in Green Bay were numbered. And at the same time, it definitely lit a fire under his ass. And you can make the argument that 2020 was statistically the best season of Aaron's career, even even better, of course, than 2010, the year they beat the Steelers in the Super Bowl. Let's not forget that Aaron actually missed a game that year because of a concussion. So I guess the thing with Aaron Rodgers is he always feels like the Packers are never giving him enough help. You know, the the first-round picks usually spent on defense. Well, I mean, honestly, their, their defense, to a degree, has somewhat underperformed over the past decade. And the great thing with with Aaron Rodgers is no matter who he has had throughout his career, whether it was Greg Jennings, Devontae Adams, guys like that, I mean, he has definitely performed at a high level. It's just his personality is so abrasive. And you wonder, at this stage in his career, 16 years after being drafted, he's a Super Bowl champion, he's won the NFL MVP three times, To me, it seems like Aaron, mentally, he's still a competitor. He still wants to play, but I feel like he's just at a different point and place in his life, both personally and professionally. As we all know, I mean, he dated Danica Patrick for several years. 
but supposedly he's engaged now. He hosted Jeopardy for two weeks. And, I mean, who knows if, if they offered this to him, the permanent position to be the host of Jeopardy. Obviously, you can never replace Alex Trebek, who sadly passed away last November from cancer. But it definitely sounds like this is a Brett Favre situation all over again, that Aaron has zero desire to play for the Green Bay Packers. And, of course, the San Francisco 49ers, like I said, they tried their best to get him. And, of course, Green Bay, they said that they were going to decline the trade and they declined any offer. I mean, there are several other teams. I know Thursday night when I was at Kyle Williams' house, Boone sent me a text message about the Denver Broncos. Supposedly, they were close to putting a deal together to land Aaron Rodgers. Then, of course, the Las Vegas Raiders. That's another team that, that's in the mix for Aaron Rodgers. We know about how John Gruden, when he was on Monday Night Football, how he had a bit of an Aaron Rodgers obsession. And this morning, I was watching GMFB for a little bit. And sure enough, they were talking about that. Like, what would be the best landing spot for Aaron Rodgers if he does not come back to the Packers? And ironically, Kyle Brandt said the Las Vegas Raiders... Nate Burleson, he went with the Denver Broncos. And Kay Adams had a very interesting one, the New York Giants. I mean, think of it. They got Kenny Galladay in free agency from the Detroit Lions. They drafted Kadarius Toney from the Florida Gators, 20th overall on Thursday night. And this is definitely a make-or-break year for the general manager, Dave Gettleman. So Aaron Rodgers in, in the Big Apple or potentially even Las Vegas, big, big markets like that. And it's pretty surreal to think that Aaron Rodgers does not want to be back in Green Bay. To the point, to the point that if he doesn't get traded, there were reports last night that he would even consider retirement. It's just absolutely crazy. So Thursday night was the first round of the 2021 NFL Draft. To no surprise, the Jacksonville Jaguars and Urban Meyer, they took Trevor Lawrence number one overall like everybody expected. And to no surprise, the New York Jets, they took Zach Wilson, second overall from BYU. From that point on, that's when things got interesting. The San Francisco 49ers, how they kept going back and forth. Was it going to be Mac Jones? Was it going to be Trey Lance? It ended up being Trey Lance from North Dakota State, who personally fits Kyle Shanahan's offense better than Mac Jones would. The Atlanta Falcons, best tight end prospect in the draft for a long time. Kyle Pitts from the Florida Gators. Cincinnati Bengals at five. Drafting Jamar Chase, arguably the best wide receiver in this draft from LSU, when in reality, I get that you want to reunite him with Joe Burrow. That was the theme of the first round on Thursday night. Reuniting wide receivers with their college quarterbacks. Jamar Chase with Joe Burrow. Jalen Waddle with Tua Tungavailoa at the Dolphins. Devontae Smith with, with Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles. But how could you ignore, after a gruesome knee injury like Joe Burrow had November 22nd against Washington, how could you ignore getting him protection? And, I mean, I get that you want playmakers and everything, but I that was a typical Cincinnati Bengals pick. And then, sure enough, the Detroit Lions, like Jason Boone talked about, 
they're doing a great job being able to provide protection for Jared Goff and really building on both lines, offensively and defensively. They took Penny Sewell from Oregon, arguably the best offensive lineman in the draft. Now, the Carolina Panthers, they definitely threw everybody for a loop at number eight, taking J.C. Horn, corner from South Carolina. In my opinion, and Josh Manley's opinion, probably the best corner in this draft. I know that he was hoping that the Dallas Cowboys would land him over Patrick Sertan from Alabama. And sure enough, that's where the Denver Broncos. Denver Broncos, they, they took Patrick Sertan, ninth overall. And I think the biggest surprise of the night was Dallas Cowboys at number 10, trading down with the Philadelphia Eagles, of all people. At that point, I was expecting the, the Steelers and the Browns to, to swap draft picks. That's something that you, you hardly ever see. But Philadelphia, Philadelphia Eagles drafting Devontae Smith, Heisman Trophy winner from Alabama. But then the Chicago Bears trading all the way up to 11th with the New York Giants so they could acquire their quarterback of the future, Justin Fields from Ohio State. Up until this point, I think a lot of people expected Justin Fields to go number three to the 49ers, but obviously those epilepsy concerns. You could, you could definitely say this is probably the, the best quarterback that the Bears have had in quite some time. I mean, college and NFL is different, don't get me wrong, but definitely an upgrade over Andy Dalton. Dallas Cowboys at number 12, taking Micah Parsons, linebacker from Penn State. I'll be honest with you, I just don't have a good feeling about this, just given Micah Parsons' character issues. And I know Josh Manley, he's very, very 50-50 on this pick as well. The Chargers, I really like them taking Rashawn Slater from Northwestern, providing some protection for Justin Herbert. And then how about this? The Minnesota Vikings trading all the way down to 23 in exchange with the New York Jets, the pick they got from the Seahawks. And the New York Jets making a smart pick, taking Elijah Vera Tucker, a guard from USC. That's the thing, build within the trenches. Provide that protection for your future franchise quarterback in Zach Wilson. And how about this? The New England Patriots at number 15. Everybody was expecting them to trade up to take a quarterback. They didn't even have to move one bit. And Bill Belichick, he got his man, Mac Jones from Alabama. I think one of the surprises was the Cardinals taking Zayvon Collins, linebacker out of Tulsa at 16. And then came the Raiders at 17. So I'm watching the draft with Kyle Williams, and I mean, he is absolutely fired up. He's hoping. He's hoping for Jeremiah Owasu Koromora, linebacker from Notre Dame. And they take Alex Leatherwood, an offensive tackle from Alabama. When they could have gotten him in the second round. It was like Kyle was saying, like the Raiders, it's it's a reach every single year in the draft. Like, like Damon Arnett last year and all the concussions that he had. You could have gotten Alex Leatherwood in the second round. He was projected, Kyle wanted a top 50 draft prospect. And Alex Leatherwood was ranked 62nd. And there was a report that came out Friday morning that that draft pick has caused a lot of tension in the Raiders' front office and heads are expected to roll sometime soon. And Kyle said it right then and there. I guarantee you, if anyone's head is going to roll, it's, it's going to be Mike Mayock, the general manager. 
which in reality, like Kyle said, let's face it, John Gruden is the one calling the shots here, especially with player personnel decisions. And he said that he feels like Gruden, it's almost like he has too much control over personnel decisions. And he said, honestly, his second tenure with the Raiders has just been an absolute disappointment. It really has. Nothing like that first tenure from 1998 to 2001 when they made it all the way to the AFC Championship and should have gone to the AFC Championship the following year in 2001. Of course, we all remember the the tuck rule game. But Jalen Phillips landing with the Miami Dolphins. How about that? Miami Hurricanes, Miami Dolphins. That was an excellent pick. Jamin Davis, another linebacker under Ron Rivera, getting him from Kentucky. Even though I'm a Gators fan, I felt like Kadarius Toney at 20. I felt like that was just a little bit of a reach. But I really like the pick with the Indianapolis Colts with Quiddy Pay, defensive end from Michigan. Then we had two Virginia Tech guys go back-to-back, Caleb Farley to the Tennessee Titans. I'm not sure what I think about that, I mean, given his, his injury history. But Johnny Glow got the man that he wanted, Christian Derisaw, 23rd overall to the Minnesota Vikings. And, I mean, think of that. They traded down, and they still got the guy they wanted. And then came the Pittsburgh Steelers. And you guys remember last week on the show how badly I wanted them to take Najee Harris running back from Alabama, and they did. And I know that they definitely needed to address the offensive line in the second round, but, man, that felt great. And he is just such a such a bruiser of a running back that has been missing, let's face it, been missing ever since Jerome Bettis retired in February 2006. Le'Veon Bell had it at times, but, of course, we know how he had a history of injuries when he was with the Steelers. But then the Jaguars at 25 taking Travis Etienne from Clemson. I mean, it's a good pick, but obviously... I would have followed the same blueprint as the New York Jets and taken an offensive lineman to provide that protection for Trevor Lawrence. Cleveland Browns, Greg Newsom, Northwestern, defensive back. I felt like that was a decent pick. Baltimore Ravens at 27. I, I figured they would take a wide receiver, but Rashad Bateman over Elijah Moore, that was definitely a bit of a surprise. Peyton Turner, 28th, defensive end from Houston. Might be a little bit of a reach, but... I know a lot of people compared him to Cam Jordan, who's on the New Orleans Saints. And then the Green Bay Packers, 29th overall, taking Eric Stokes, defensive back from Georgia. And I'm sure that definitely had to piss off Aaron Rodgers. Another first-round pick that wasn't a skill player. And then the Buffalo Bills, 30th overall, taking an edge rusher. I thought it would be Jason Awai, but it turned out to be Gregory Russo from Miami Hurricanes. Excellent pick there. And then the Ravens at 31, the pick they got from Kansas City, they were the ones to take Jason Hawaii from Penn State. And finally, rounding out the field of 32 on Thursday night, Joe Tryon, linebacker from Washington. I'll tell you what, Bruce Arians, Jason Light, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they have had one hell of a draft. And, I mean, at the very end of the second round last night, taking Kyle Trask, quarterback from the Florida Gators. Hey, Bruce Arians... They call him the quarterback whisperer for a reason, okay? This man has wor- – I mean, he's working with Tom Brady right now. Granted, it's at the very end of his career, but think of it. He groomed Peyton Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, Andrew Luck. He revitalized Carson Palmer's career with the Arizona Cardinals when it, it at, at times sort of looked dead 
towards the end of his time in Cincinnati, and then, of course, some very hit-or-miss years with the Oakland Raiders. So I definitely like those picks that Tampa Bay has made. And then at the end of last night, how they got Robert Hainsey, offensive tackle from Notre Dame. And I know that the, the fourth round of the draft is going on right now as we speak. But I felt like the Chargers had an excellent draft. I really like them getting Asante Samuel Jr. in the second round. And I think one of the surprises, I guess you could say, was Jeremiah Owasu-Koromora falling all the way, all the way to the Cleveland Browns in the second round. But the Pittsburgh Steelers in the second round taking Pat Fryermuth, tight end from Penn State, that was a bit of a head-scratcher, I'm not going to lie. I know some people are calling him Baby Gronk and everything, but that you're missing the point. You're missing the point. You need, if you get a bruiser like Najee Harris, if you lose three starters on the offensive line, you have to take an offensive lineman in the second round. And they took one in the third round. They took Kendrick Green from Illinois, but me personally, I wanted them to take Quinn Miners, that center from Wisconsin-Whitewater. That kid is a beast. So, and then, of course, that's the other thing. They could have had Kyle Trask. But no, let's, let's extend Mason Rudolph. Let's extend him to a one-year, ex, a, a one-year extension when this guy has a weak arm, no leadership. He's scared every time he drops back. I'm telling you, I liked Najee Harris. I liked that pick. But some of these other draft picks, it's definitely going to come back and bite the Steelers this year. Like I said, first losing season since 2003. Book it right now. Another great draft pick was the Kansas City Chiefs in the second round. Nick Bolton, linebacker from Missouri, and they did an excellent job beefing up that offensive line after they lost so many people in the offseason. So definitely a fun time for sure with the NFL draft. And I was going to say another pick that I really liked in the third round last night was the 49ers getting Trey Sermon running back from Ohio State. Excellent pick for sure, and I think he's going to fit into Kyle Shanahan's offense very, very well. So last Saturday at Talladega Super Speedway, surprisingly, I think everybody thought that that race was going to be a washout. Just the way that the forecast looked, they got, but the sun came out, they got the ARCA race in, and then they managed to get the Xfinity race in just a little after 4 o'clock on time yet. Austin Sindrick and Daniel Hemrick on the front row. And early on, it was looking like this, once again, was going to be the day where Daniel Hemrick would get that first Xfinity Series win of his career. But as we have grown accustomed over the past year or so in the Xfinity Series at Daytona Talladega, the colleague cars are absolutely incredible. And how about that? They announced that they will be going full-time cup racing in 2022. Whoever that driver is, whether it's Justin Moneymaker Haley A.J. Allmendinger, Jeb Burton, Kaz Grala has done a remarkable job in that car. And we'll get to him in just a little bit. But sure enough, Justin Haley, he did win the first stage of the Xfinity race on Saturday afternoon. And from that point on, some of the dominant cars, the dominant car especially was Austin Sendrick in that 22 car with Team Penske. But another one, of course, was Jeb Burton. And we know that he's another one. We've been waiting to see when he would get to victory lane in an Xfinity race, obviously his younger cousin Harrison somewhat showing him up. But as the race wound down and stage two was won by Noah Gregson, 
As the race was winding down, we could see that there was a massive cell that was heading towards Talladega. So obviously that ramps up the urgency. And what a great story that was with Josh Berry winning the Xfinity race in Martinsville. And he was doing a remarkable job at Talladega, his first time at Talladega, running second. And sure enough, he had a tire go down, and he spun down in turn four. But man, when I saw that radar, I thought, like, this is going to be the end of the race sooner or later. So Josh Berry spun out on lap 77. And from that point on, Jeb Burton had an excellent car towards the end of the race. And down the backstretch, it was Michael Lynette, Ty Dillon, can't help but feel heartbroken once again. The kid just can't catch a break this year and doesn't really have anything lined up the rest of the year. But Michael Lynette, Ty Dillon, Brandon Jones, whole bunch of them piling in on the backstretch there. And then, sure enough, as they were riding around under caution, the rain picked up, and I mean, it picked up pretty hard. And that's the thing with Talladega, not having any lights. Shortly after 6 o'clock Eastern time, NASCAR had no choice but to call the race And Jeb Burton finally, and I mean finally, got that first Xfinity Series win of his career. And just seeing the genuine emotion, seeing him in tears when Regan Smith was interviewing him in the garage, which, as we know, is the alternate victory lane when it's a rain-shortened race. Jeb Burton might be Ward Burton's son, but this is a guy that has truly worked hard. Truly worked hard to get to this point in his career. Now, he started off driving for... Turner Scott Motorsports in the truck series in 2013, won a truck race at Texas Motor Speedway, and then wouldn't you know it, a month before Daytona in 2014, the sponsor leaves them. And having to bounce around between Thor Sport and Richard Petty Motorsports and a brief stint with Burger King Racing in the Cup Series in 20, 2015, that was disastrous to say the least. Then, of course, stints with Richard Childress Racing, Junior Motorsports. He almost won this race in the eight car for Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Kelly Earnhardt Miller last year. Sure enough, got passed by his now teammate, Justin Haley, with two laps to go. So definitely great to see Jeb Burton join his father, Ward, his uncle, Jeff, and his cousin, Harrison, as winners in the Xfinity Series. Taking a look at the rundown from Saturday at Talladega, Austin Sindrick was second, A.J. Allmendinger third, Riley Herps fourth, season is finally starting to turn around for him, Ryan Sieg, another Top five finish at Talladega Super Speedway. Noah Gregson, stage two winner and dash for cash winner for the second race in a row. He was sixth. Brandon Brown, another awesome race for him in seventh. Justin Moneymaker Haley, eighth after winning the first stage. Myatt Snyder, ninth. And the other Burton, Harrison, rounding out the top ten. A couple other notables. Tommy Joe Martins finishing 11th in the family-owned team. Daniel Hemrick, 12th. Just couldn't get back up there, obviously, before the rain came. Timmy Hill, 13th. Jeremy Clements, 14th. Colin Garrett, 15th. David Starr, 16th. Like I said, some great, great runs for some underfunded teams. Then a couple other notables. Jeffrey Earnhardt, 22nd after he spun coming on the pit road. And like I said, not a good day for, for junior motorsports. Justin Allgaier, he got caught up. Justin Allgaier got caught up in that, that mess towards the end. 29th, Josh Berry, 31st, Michael Annette, 32nd. And then Ty Dillon, 35th, and Brandon Jones, 37th. But thankfully, Sunday at Talladega Super Speedway, we did not have to worry about the rain this time. Beautiful all day, sunny. And Denny Hamlin was on the pole. 
Joey Logano second. But here we are just minutes before the green flag. Denny Hamlin, Martin Trex Jr. in third. Christopher Bell, who was scheduled to start sixth. Bubba Wallace, Harrison Burton in his cup debut. They all had a drop to the back of the field for multiple inspection failures. And Alex Bowman, who was scheduled to start fifth, all of a sudden he's starting on the pole on his 28th birthday. Joey Logano, too, is outside and the green flag. And the Geico 500 was underway. Excellent battle early on that first lap to see who was going to lead lap one between William Byron and Joey Logano. Byron edged him at the line, obviously, before Logano was able to take the lead. And early on, Kyle Larson was starting 12th, and I saw him drop back, and I thought, well, you know, this is Kyle. You know, he's been caught up in so many wrecks at Talladega. He's just going to drop to the back, let things sort out, and then he'll make a charge. But nope. As soon as we got going, his water temperature was pegged all the way to 300 degrees. And here, I guess it was a piece of metal that got stuck in the engine, and just like that, three laps in, Kyle Larson's day was done. So his luck at Talladega has just been absolutely horrendous throughout his career. Bubba Wallace from the back of the field drove all the way to the lead. 12 laps into the race, he had a great car. Kevin Harvick looked great. I mean, obviously, this is Talladega. You could be having a bad year like Harvick and Stuart Haas are, and it won't make the difference one bit. You have a shot to win. And... Denny Hamlin from the back of the field, I mean, he asserted himself early on as the favorite, taking the lead on lap 28. And, I mean, he looks great. And the Penske cars especially, Ryan Blaney, Matt Benedetto. I mean, the one thing with Brad Keselowski is going into Sunday, five wins at Talladega. But ever since that fifth win in 2017, here's what's happened to him. The 2018 races, he got caught up in the big one in the spring. He ran out of gas with two laps to go in the fall race in 2018. 2019, spun coming on to pit road. Caught up in the big one in the October race that year. And then last year, running second on a green-white checker, runs out of gas. Running seventh at the final corner, and Tyler Reddick spins him out. So as great of a restricted plate racer that Brad has been, that strategy of wanting to stay up front and lead as much as you can, it's cost him dearly over the past few years. And I've seen a different Brad Keselowski. I saw it last year at Daytona. I saw it this year in the 500 and this race especially. This time around, he wasn't afraid to drop to the back for a little bit, let things sort out, and just make sure that he was in contention at the end of the race instead of having to go home with another car torn all to hell, whether it be Talladega or Daytona. But, as we all know, with Talladega, it's not a matter of if, it's only when. And here we were, lap 61. We were coming to the end of the first stage. And going down the back straightaway, Ricky Stenhouse, he hit Denny Hamlin pretty hard. And that propelled him into Joey Logano. And then Joey goes spinning and then goes up in the air. Up in the air, lands on his roof, comes back on on his wheels. So Joey's day was done. Which, I mean, at that point, I think we we were all sort of expecting Joey Logano to be the guy to cause the big one. And this time, he was just a victim of circumstances. So, Matt Benedetto was in the lead. He goes on to win the first stage of his career. But, 
In the midst of all this, Joey Logano goes flipping. Denny Hamlin, Ricky Stenhouse, they have damage. Brad Keselowski just minding his own business. It looked like he was going to make it through clean. And Chase Briscoe, there was nothing that Chase could do, but he came down the track, hit Brad in the right recorder panel, and spun him around. So no, no stage points for Brad, no stage points for Briscoe. Thankfully, the damage wasn't as bad as I expected it to be. But sure enough, when Joey got out of the infield care center, thankfully he was fine. But here we come to find out that the roof caved in and almost hit him right in the head. This almost, like he was saying, this almost could have been another Ryan Newman situation. And I get that, I get what Joey is saying. I get that restrictor plate racing is dangerous. And I get that these wrecks happen sooner or later. And I get that NASCAR needs to do a better job of keeping these cars on the ground. But at the same time, the most aggressive driver in the field, and you can make the argument sometimes the most reckless driver in the field, for him to be criticizing the way that the racing is at Daytona and Talladega, I felt like that was pretty rich on his part. That's definitely the kettle calling the pot black. NASCAR definitely needs to do more. We can never be complacent with safety, but... Like Dale Earnhardt Jr. said on his podcast on Tuesday, I think one of the best things to do is when you go to Talladega, when you go to Daytona, instead of having, as Dale Jr. said on on NBC two years ago, instead of having these giant-ass spoilers, definitely, definitely make the spoilers smaller. These are why we still have these cars flipping and going through the air at Talladega. It's because of the giant spoiler. You pack all that that air from underneath the car and everything, it's going to flip. Almost kind of like when they had the car tomorrow with the wings on the back of it. So if you have a smaller rear spoiler, especially at Talladega and Daytona, I feel like that is definitely a way that we could keep these cars on the ground instead of turning over like we see all the time at Talladega and Daytona. But afterwards, like I said, Denny Hamlin, here's the thing with Denny Hamlin. Definitely one of the most naturally talented drivers that we have in the sport. But, as we know, for a guy that has been in the sport for, this is a 16th full-time season, going all the way back to 2006. For a guy that's won three Daytona 500s, for a guy that has 44 career victories. The reason why Denny Hamlin does not have a cup championship to me, he's not the most mentally tough driver in the sport. And I've said it before. That's why he let Jimmy Johnson, Chad Knauss, and the 48 team get to his head in 2010. He lets these little arguments on and off the track get to his head, whether it was with Brad Keselowski, whether it was him and him and Kyle Petty several times throughout his career. And, of course, being an owner, I know that that definitely has to take away some of, some of the focus on that 11 car. But Bubba Wallace was doing an excellent job on Sunday, and he was calling out Bubba for ditching him and ditching his Gibbs teammates and everything. And then sure enough, Denny speeds on pit road. And not only does he speed on pit road, out of anger and frustration, he speeds on pit road again. So you can make the argument that Denny Hamlin had the fastest car in Sunday's race. But mental mistakes Mental mistakes, you get mad about your driver not working with you, you get mad about speeding on pit road, and that's the thing, even though he has a a huge lead in the regular season championship, he hasn't won a race this year. Mental mistakes, think of it. You know, he, he criticized... 
Brad Keselowski. Brad won a championship before he did. Jimmy Johnson. Oh, yeah, we got them beat. Yeah, well, Jimmy won seven championships. You're still waiting for one. Then, of course, Chase Elliott. You can make the argument that he definitely toughened up Chase Elliott when he wrecked him at Martinsville in, in 2017. Kevin Harvick, you never want to play mind games with Kevin Harvick. And Kevin, every single time, those two went head-to-head for a championship. 2010, I know both of them lost to Jimmy Johnson. He let Kevin get into his head. 2014, he let Kevin get into his head at the press conference. Kevin beat him for the championship. Denny, if he ever wants to win a championship, he cannot let little things like this bother him. And that's the big thing that I take away from the speeding penalties, from calling out Bubba. He definitely has to definitely has to show a little more mental maturity, I guess you could say. Boy, I guess that's a new new one I coined up, <laughs> mental maturity. So, as we were coming down to the end of the second stage, the Hendrick cars, the three that were left, William Byron, Chase Elliott, Alex Bowman, they had fast cars. And, of course, we saw how Bubba and Denny, I mean, they were working together, even though Denny was a lap down. But we saw Brad was making his way back up to the front, and he was pushing Denny. He was trying to win the stage himself. And as we were coming to to get, as we were coming to the final lap of stage two, Brad threw a pretty massive block on Denny Hamlin so he could protect second place on the stage. And because of that, Martin Trex Jr. he got in the back of Denny. They both hit the wall. William Byron, he came down and his teammate Alex Bowman. All three Hendrick cars go spinning through the grass. And Matty D wins stage one. Bubba wins stage two. The first stage wins of their career. Now, Chase Elliott, it did a lot of damage to the front splitter of his car. William Byron, a lot of the damage was mainly the left recorder panel. But with Alex, he sort of got hit on both sides, the right side with Byron, the left side with Chase. And eventually the crash clock, it ran out. Him and Greg Ives, their day was done. Definitely not a happy birthday for Alex Bowman, to say the least. I guess the one thing about Talladega is, like I said, no matter how bad of a year you might be having, you have a shot to win. And we saw that with Eric Almirola leading laps. We saw that with Ross Chastain. But as even Eric Jones, for that matter. But as the laps were winding down... It was looking like it was going to be a Penske parade. Matt DiBenedetto, even though it's the Wood Brothers, it's Penske equipment. He's leading. Ryan Blaney is second. Brad Keselowski is third. And Brad was working together really well, obviously, with Blaney and Matt DiBenedetto, but also another Ford driver, Michael McDowell. And here we are with 15 laps to go. Quinn Huff wrecks down in turn two. So you figure at that point... There's another big one coming, at least one big one, at least two. But Matt Benedetto, he was doing a good job holding that line together himself, Blaney, Keselowski, McDowell. And then, you know, what? Martin Trex Jr., who was already lapsed down after being involved in one of the many big ones, he has the tire go down and litters debris all over the front straightaway. So here we are, green, white, checkered at Talladega. How many of them are are they going to wad up? So it went to Benedetto on the inside, Blaney on the outside, then Brad Keselowski on the inside. And Brad was doing a really good job sticking to the back of Matt to Benedetto, and he had a great pusher 
with Michael McDowell. On the outside, Ryan Blaney. Here's Ryan Blaney and Kevin Harvick, two Ford teammates. Brad Keselowski is one of the best pushers there is in the sport, and he was latched on to Matt Benedetto's bumper while Blaney and Kevin Harvick, they became separated through turn three. The mistake that Matt Benedetto made was he went up top to block the run that Ryan Blaney had. Brad Keselowski, he knows how to win these plate races. Sure enough, he stayed right to the bottom. He had a great push from Michael McDowell as they took the white flag. And Michael himself was going to do everything that he could to try to win the race. William Byron, who restarted ninth on that green-white checker with all the damage that he had. Brad did a masterful job of holding both of them off. And here was Brad Keselowski with his first win of 2021, the 35th of his career, but his sixth at Talladega, tying his mentor and the guy that gave him his big break in 2007, Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Jeff Gordon, tying them for second on the all-time wins list at Talladega, six victories at Talladega for Brad Keselowski. And of those six victories at Talladega, this was the fourth that came with a last lap pass. You know, everybody calls Kevin Harvick the closer, and rightfully so. But you could definitely make the argument that Brad himself is one of the most clutch drivers in the sport. Out of the 35 wins of Brad Keselowski's career, six of them have come with a last lap pass. So four of them at Talladega, his first win in 2009. 2014, which was a must-win situation. He had to win, otherwise he was going to be eliminated from the playoffs. 2017, he passed Ryan Newman on the outside on the final lap. Once again, passing Ryan Newman on the final lap at Talladega. And here we were, Sunday, passing Matt Benedetto on the final lap. So there's four. The other two, 2014 at Las Vegas Motor Speedway when Dale Earnhardt Jr. ran out of gas. Three-quarters of lap from the checkered flag. And then 2015, passing Kurt Busch on the outside on the last lap of the race. So an incredible job by Brad Keselowski and definitely a shot in the arm after really an awful month leading up to Talladega. We know about the lug nut penalty at Phoenix that got Jeremy Bowen suspended. We know how horrible and pathetic they were at Atlanta with Grant Hutchins finishing 28th. 11th at Bristol on the dirt, which was respectful considering his his lack of dirt racing. But the power steering issues at Martinsville, the pathetic pit stops there, getting caught up in a wreck and finishing 33rd. And then Richmond, that dumb strategy Jeremy Bullens had keeping him out there just so they could save a set of tires for the end of the race. And you get lapped before the end of stage two and finish 14th. Definitely a good shot in the arm for Brad Keselowski, Jeremy Bullens, and the two crew. Taking a look at the finishing order from last Sunday, Brad Keselowski, the winner at Talladega for the sixth time in his career. Dale Earnhardt Jr. did send him a congratulatory text message after the race was over. He said, you can beat my my Talladega record if you want, just don't beat my dad's record of 10. (laughs) William Byron, Willie B, was second. Woo! Eight straight top 10 finishes for William Byron. The first time a Hendrick Motorsports driver has done that since 2014. Want to know who that last Hendrick driver was to have eight straight top 10 finishes? Dale Earnhardt Jr. It started at, ironically, Talladega in October of 2013 when he finished second to Jamie McMurray. 
and it went, ironically, all the way to Las Vegas in 2014 when he finished second to Brad Keselowski. You figured it would be Jimmy Johnson or Jeff Gordon. Never in a million years would you, would you imagine Dale Earnhardt Jr. being the last Hendrick driver to have eight consecutive top ten finishes. Michael McDowell, another strong restricted plate finish in third. Kevin Harvick, believe it or not, his best finish of the year in fourth. Matt DiBenedetto, first top five of the season in fifth. So close to that first win. Kaz Grala, sixth in the colleague racing Chevrolet. Obviously a part-time team. Childress teammates Tyler Reddick and Austin Dillon, seventh and eighth respectively. Ryan Blaney, ninth. And Cole Custer rounding out the top ten. Chase Briscoe and Anthony Alfredo are two rookies. Career best finishes in 11th and 12th. Ryan Newman, 13th. Ryan Priest, 14th. How about that? Two rookies, two Ryans, back-to-back. <laughs> Eric Amarola, 15th. Ross Chastain, 16th, as he spun across the finish line and hit the inside wall. Then a bunch of Gibbs cars. Christopher Bell, 17th. Kyle Busch, 18th. Bubba Wallace, 19th. Harrison Burton, 20th in his Cup Series debut, ran in the top 10 a lot. Chris Buescher, 21st, hit the wall the last corner of the last lap. Corey LaJoy, 22nd. Daniel Suarez, 23rd, who almost spun out on the last lap. Chase Elliott, 24th. BJ McLeod, 25th. JJ Yaley, 26th in the car that Jennifer Joe Cobb was supposed to drive. Eric Almirola, who crashed coming in a checkered flag and couldn't make it back, 27th. Cody Ware, 28th, Timmy Hill, 29th, Justin Moneymaker Haley in 30th. Martin Trex Jr., 31st, Denny Hamlin, 32nd, by far his worst finish of the season so far. Ricky Stenhouse Jr., 33rd, had some problems on pit road, getting crashed coming onto pit road. Joey Gase, 34th in the Davey Allison tribute. Kurt Busch, 35th, what a horrendous start to the season it continues. They broke an oil line and finished six laps down. You definitely wonder if this is the end for Kurt Busch, if he's going to retire after this year. Josh Balicki, 36th. And then out of the race, Quinn Huff in 37th. The birthday boy, Alex Bowman in 38th. Joey Logano, 39th. And Kyle Larson, just three laps on the day in 40th. So this weekend at Kansas Speedway, the Xfinity Series is off. They'll be back next weekend at Darlington. But tonight we have the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series at Kansas Speedway. 7.30 on Fox Sports 1, Vince Welch, Michael Waltrip, and Joey Logano with the call. On the pole is Richmond winner John Hunter Nemechek. And starting second is his boss, Kyle Busch, in his fourth of fifth start. Fourth of five starts. That's a tongue twister for you. In the Truck Series in 2021, obviously, as we know, Kyle Busch, He's won several times in the truck series at Kansas Speedway. 2014 was one of them. And then also in 2017 and 2018. Ben Rhodes, who was on his way to that win in 2017 when the engine blew up, he'll start third. Johnny Sauter, happy birthday to Johnny, 43 years old today. He's starting in fourth. He won this race in 2010. Chandler Smith, awesome job at Richmond, starting fifth. Todd Gillen in sixth. Austin Hill, who won at Kansas last July, he will be starting 7th. Sheldon Creed in 8th. Zane Smith, ninth, And Stuart Friesen, 10th. Carson Hosevar in 11th. Matt Crafton, two wins at Kansas, 2013, and also one of the July races last year in 12th. 
Tyler Ankrum, 13th. Derek Krauss, 14th. Rafael Lassard, 15th. Austin Wayne Self in 16th. Christian Eckes, 17th. Tanner Gray, Spencer Davis, Haley Deegan, Danny Bone, Timothy Peters, Chase Purdy, Chris Wright, Timmy Hill, Brett Moffat, who won here in October of last year, but he switched over to Xfinity points. Spencer Boyd, Dawson Cram, Grant Enfinger driving the 9 Chevrolet for Cody Rohrbaugh. Chase Briscoe driving for Corey Roper again tonight. He'll be starting in 30th. Ryan Truex, 31st. Brett Holmes, 32nd. Ryan Reed, 33rd. Ross Chastain in 34th. First truck series win of his career two years ago in this race. Tate Fogelman, Jordan Anderson, Norm Benning, Jesse Awuji, and Jennifer Joe Cobb. That is the field for tonight's truck series race at Kansas Speedway. I know that John Hunter is on a roll. I know he won Las Vegas. I know he won Richmond. He is definitely the favorite for this championship. But at the end of the day, anytime Kyle Busch is in a truck series race, I definitely have to go with him. So moving ahead to tomorrow's race, the NASCAR Cup Series race at Kansas Speedway. 3 o'clock on Fox Sports 1, Mike Joy, three-time Kansas winner Jeff Gordon, and Emporia, Kansas' own Clint Boyer with the call, Fox Sports 1, 3 o'clock, like I said, 267 laps, stage 1, lap 80, stage 2, lap 160. The title of the race, Bush Bear is sponsoring the race. The title of the race, the Bushy McBush race, 400. If you ask me and you ask Sean Rosansky, this is by far the dumbest title of a race ever. If you ask Nick Bonk, he considers it the coolest title of a race ever. But myself and Sean, what a stupid name for a race. Bush Beer 400. Something as simple as that. Bushy McBush Race 400. I guess this is what happens in the 21st century when companies let millennials <laughs> vote on the title of a race. What a joke. I can only imagine what Dale Earnhardt Sr. would think about that. Anyway, <laughs> on the poll is our Talladega winner and two-time Kansas winner, Brad Keselowski in that beautiful black and red number two Verizon 5G Ford. Brad has two wins at Kansas Speedway. His first win with Team Penske came here in June of 2011. How ironic. His first win with Team Penske, June of 2011 at Kansas Speedway. His first win with Paul Wolf as well. They held off the number 88 car of Dale Earnhardt Jr. Another lap and Dale Jr. would have had him. Came down to a fuel mileage race. Brad is an absolute master of fuel mileage races. Dale Jr., on the other hand, fuel mileage races, they always found a way to break your heart as a junior fan unless it was June of 2008 at Michigan. Now, Brad's other win at Kansas Speedway, it was May of 2019. How ironic beating the number 88 of Alex Bowman, and how ironic that ended up being his last win with Paul Wolf as his crew chief. Talk about bookends. Starting second is William Byron, Willie B. Woo! In second, William Byron reunited with Rudy Fugel. This is where he got his first truck win back in 2016. Daytona 500 champion Michael McDowell in third. Four-time, three-time Kansas winner Kevin Harvick won here his last race with Richard Childress Racing in October 2013. 
and two wins at Kansas Speedway with Rodney Childers in the four team, my birthday in 2016, and Mother's Day weekend in 2018. Matt DiBenedetto looking for that first win. He will start fifth, Austin Dillon sixth, Ryan Blaney seventh, Christopher Bell, who got his first Xfinity Series win here in 2017, he will start eighth, Kyle Busch, one win at Kansas Speedway this race in 2016, he will start ninth, and Cole Custer rounds out the top 10. Starting 11th is Tyler Reddick, 12th is Ryan Priest, 13th Bubba Wallace. Dr. Pepper's headquarters are in Kansas, apparently. Awesome looking car for tomorrow, the Dr. Pepper Zero Sugar Toyota. Ryan Newman, who won at Kansas in 2003, he will start 14th. Martin Trex Jr., who swept Kansas in 2017 en route to the championship, he will start 15th. Chris Busher, 16th. Chase Elliott, who won here in the fall of 2018, he will start in 17th. Eric Almarola, 18th. Ricky Chase Briscoe, 19th. Denny Hamlin, three wins at Kansas Speedway this race in 2012. The fall race of 2019. And Denny is actually the defending winner of this race at Kansas Speedway last year. It was a Thursday night in July. Obviously, everything that was going on with COVID-19. No fans in the stands, but what an excellent battle at the end of that race for the win between himself, Brad Keselowski, and Martin Truex Jr. 21st is Daniel Suarez, 22nd, Anthony Alfredo, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., 23rd, and 24th is Ross Chastain. Alex Bowman will be starting in 25th. This is a, I will say, this is a very good track for Alex. Like I said, he finished second to Brad Keselowski in this race two years ago. He finished third at Kansas back in October. And Alex actually has two ARCA wins at Kansas Speedway, 2011 and 2012. And he did say that this is actually his favorite racetrack, Kansas Speedway. Even in 2016, when he filled in for Dale Earnhardt Jr. when he had the concussion. Alex, even though he bounced it off the wall and bounced into Jamie McMurray, still finished 7th that day. Corey LaJoy, 26th. Eric Jones, 27th. Wow, Kurt Busch all the way back in 28th. Joey Logano, three wins at Kansas Speedway. The fall races of 2014 and 2015. And him and Paul Wolf, they managed to win at Kansas Speedway in the fall of last year. BJ McLeod, 30th. Justin Moneymaker Haley in 31st. Kyle Larson in 32nd. He is going to be fun to watch. Really, when you think of it, Denny Hamlin in 20th, Joey Logano 29th, Kyle Larson 32nd. It is definitely going to be fun to watch those guys carve their way through the field. We're in for one hell of a show tomorrow. Cody Ware 33rd, Quinn Huff 34th, Joey Gase 35th, Garrett Smithley 36th, Josh Balicki 37th, Austin Sendrick off weekend for the Xfinity Series. He's making the third or excuse me, the fourth cup start of his career in 38th. And running out the field, making his NASCAR Cup Series debut is Matt Mills in 39th. Now, I know that I said that I would continue to pick Denny Hamlin until he wins a race this year. But like I said, the mental toughness part. The thing with Kansas Speedway, Kansas is an awesome racetrack, even with this horrible 550 horsepower high downforce package. A lot of three-wide, sometimes four-wide, guys down on the apron. The restarts at Kansas are absolutely incredible. And we've seen over the years a lot of excellent moments at Kansas Speedway ever since they got the spring race in 2011. Like I said, 2011, Kurt Busch dominates the day. He has to pit for fuel. 
And Brad Keselowski holds off his protege, or yeah, his mentor, yeah, his mentor, Dale Earnhardt Jr., for his first win with Team Penske. That was definitely an exciting day for sure. And like I said, the first win for Paul Wolf as a crew chief. 2012, Martin Trex Jr. dominated the day when it was cloudy and cool. The sun came out towards the end. The handling went away. And here came Denny Hamlin, passed him with less than 10 laps to go. He goes on to win. Then Matt Kenseth and Casey Kane, they had some excellent battles in 2013 for victories. And Matt was able to hold off Casey, but then sure enough, some illegal engine parts that were found in post-race inspection. But Matt got to keep the victory nowadays. He would have been disqualified. 2014, Kevin Harvick's first year with Stuart Haas Racing dominated the night. But a lot of problems on pit road. Jeff Gordon inherits the lead, and Kevin just runs right out of time. I mean, he was flying at the end of that race. One more lap, just like Dale Earnhardt Jr. in 2011. One more lap, and I think Kevin Harvick would have gotten Jeff Gordon that night. 2015, Bushy McBush Race 400, dumbest title for a race ever. But if you ask my father, Tom Heller, the dumbest title of a race ever, the SpongeBob SquarePants 400 in 2015. <laughs> dumbest title of a race ever in his mind. But at 1 o'clock in the morning, Jimmy Johnson holding off Kevin Harvick and Dale Earnhardt Jr. in a pretty, pretty incredible battle to the end. 2016, I mean, at this point, Martin Trex Jr. only had three wins to his name. And the story with Martin was he would always dominate a race, but something, something bad would always seem to happen at the end. And that was what happened in 2016. He won the pole. He dominated the night, led over 170 laps, loose wheel. And Kyle Busch at the track that had really been his worst for a long time, Kyle finally got a Kansas win. 2017, of course, we all can't forget that horrific wreck that Eric Almarola had, how he had to be taken to the hospital, did not get back in the race car until two months later at New Hampshire. And then Martin Trex Jr. in his championship season holding off two former champions and Brad Keselowski and Kevin Harvick for the win. And then how Kevin and Truex the following year, how Kevin passed Martin was just two laps to go for the win. And then, like I said, the last two years, Two years ago with Brad Keselowski overcoming problems on pit road. Kevin Harvick dominating the race but having a tire go down. Alex Bowman looking like he's on his way to his first win. And how Brad took his line away and was able to pass him with less than 10 laps to go. And I never would have imagined that night that that would be his final win with Paul Wolf, Him and Paul Wolf together. Obviously, things definitely fell apart towards the end of that 2019 season. But last year, like I said... Denny Hamlin, Brad Keselowski, Martin Trex Jr., the three of them duking it out towards the end of that race and how Denny was able to hold off a hard-charging Brad Keselowski. If that would have been five more laps, I think Brad definitely would have got him. So like I said, as great as Kansas is, the one thing with this 550-horsepower package, clean air is everything. Clean air is everything. And we saw it last year. Kevin Harvick had the fastest car. But right there at the end of that race, Joey Logano, he had the clean air. And no matter how many runs Kevin Harvick would get on Joey Logano, he just couldn't pass him. And think of it, that clinched the spot in the championship four for Joey Logano. And Kevin Harvick ended up missing out on the championship four. And I mean, really, when you think of it, ever since Kevin Harvick lost that Kansas race, things have gone downhill ever since then. Hitting the wall at Texas, the wreck at Martinsville. And even if they would have made it to the championship four, they struggled badly in that Phoenix race. And even this year, 
just 29 laps left on the season, and they're Daytona and Talladega. Anyway, my point is, no matter how many excellent battles we're going to see tomorrow at Kansas Speedway, you want to have that clean air. You want to have that track position. And I think that Brad Keselowski and William Byron, I think the two of them being on the front row, I could definitely see this race coming down to those two tomorrow. And I think that, I think eventually Martin Trex Jr., Denny Hamlin, Joey Logano, and maybe Kyle Larson, I think at some point they will be able to charge their way up through the field. But at the end of the day, I feel like these, I feel like the way this package is and how important track position is. And I will say this I think that, believe it or not, I feel like Alex Bowman is going to be a bit of a dark horse tomorrow. Like I said, this seems to be his favorite racetrack. And ever since he started driving for Hendrick Motorsports, obviously when he filled in for Dale Jr. in 2016 and then full-time in 2018, Alex has only finished outside the top 10 once at Kansas Speedway, and it was the May race in 2018 when he got caught up in a wreck with Daniel Suarez. Other than that, he's been top 10 in, in every race at Kansas. And obviously, like I said, some close calls two years ago with Brad and then the October race last year, finishing third behind Joey Logano and Kevin Harvick. But ultimately, when it's all said and done, and I need to pick someone to win this race for tomorrow, I am going to go with the number two Ford of Brad Keselowski. Like I said, this is a great track for Brad. How crazy, the 10th anniversary of his first win with Team Penske. I know that was with Paul Wolf. But Jeremy Bollins, don't forget, him and Jeremy Bollins, they did win the Nationwide Series race at Kansas Speedway later that year in 2011. This has been a great track for Brad. The two wins, 2011-2019, many top fives. Him and Paul Wolf, they finished third there in the fall of 2011. And even last year with Jeremy Bollins. Last year with Jeremy Bollins, obviously there were a lot of question marks going in. How are they going to gel together? It's a contract year. But their two Kansas races together, Brad led tons of laps there. The Thursday night race in July just ran out of time there at the end with Denny Hamlin and then finished fourth in October. And I feel like being up front and having that track position, I feel like Brad Keselowski is my pick to go to victory lane tomorrow at Kansas Speedway. And I'll tell you this right now. If I were Roger Penske, I would not waste any more time. I would give Brad Keselowski not just a contract extension, but a multi-year extension that he deserves instead of these one-year deals like what happened last year. I know they were saying, oh, it was because of COVID and the pandemic and everything. Well, you gave Ryan Blaney a multi-year extension just one week before the season was suspended. You can make the argument, even though Joey Logano has the best crew chief in Paul Wolf and the best pit crew, to me, ever since this change was made in 2020, I feel like Brad Keselowski has definitely been the best of those three drivers, himself, Joey Logano, and Ryan Blaney. And momentum is so crucial in the sport. All it takes is one win, and that could kickstart your season. So Kyle Busch, my pick to go to victory lane tonight in the truck race at Kansas Speedway, and Brad Keselowski, my pick to go to victory lane tomorrow. That will do it for episode 58 of Jake's Take. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Episode 59 will be out next Friday, sometime early Friday morning, previewing the triple header weekend at Darlington Raceway, the throwback weekend too. So have a great day. Y'all take it easy.